Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 44 from March 29th, 2021. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's podcast episode, we talk about our new logo, lots of well, YouTube-related stuff, the PIX-moving, semi-open-source approach for self-driving vehicles. Lulzbot has announced a, or, well, they have teased um, a new 3D printer starting as low as 750 bucks. And finally, the last patent from Stratasys concerning the heated chamber finally uh, yeah, expired. And we really look forward to seeing this one implemented in, well, newer printers. What we're also really looking forward to seeing implemented in newer slicers is the fact that you can now download a usable version of the conical slicing approach that I think we talked about last time. There is now a open source software that you can try this out on with your own printers. For the topic of the week, for the big topic, we finally have one of those again. Um, Stefan called this, some think we are geniuses. Um, I would call it some think we are genies. Um, we talk about how we can offer help to you know people who need assistance with their printers in an efficient way without it taking up uh, our whole time. So, you know, that's... Uh, that's something that uh, we don't have good solutions for, but we try to solve it anyways. And, you know, in an effort to, to try to get there, we do answer one question as well uh, about PLA and how it's annealed and why it doesn't soften in tea water. Whoops, I just uh, took the answer ahead of time there. But let's get started with the episode. We have a new logo. We have something. Well, you got us a new logo made. So It's been time. Um, it's, it it was I think about time because we we're, we're just about to reach ten thousand subscribers on the podcast. Hey, Yay. and six thousand of those are like carried over from my Tom's Three Live channel. That this yeah, but channel they used did not subscribe. So well, some of them did, but I don't blame them for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, a bunch of them did. They they were I think kind of uh, they didn't know what was happening. Why are they? F- why do you subscribe to a podcast channel? To like, podcast right. channel. I hate podcasts. Oh, well. Um, they're lost. Yeah. We're approaching 10,000 subscribers. And, and the podcast, the views, and also the subscribers have been growing really, really well over the last, uh, let's say, three months yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Just, yeah, starting from January. And I thought it was finally the time to invest some money and and get a new logo made. So I think the the first one that was made that was you're in very thin ice right now. That you know how much yeah. love I put into that logo. Yeah, you put much love in that logo. It was still, I guess, during that time when we did not even have recorded the first podcast episode. And you just well scribbled that up, and it it kind kind of stuck for the last forty three podcast episodes. It was okay, but yeah, people right. suggested that it somehow looks like which things. was intentional, I guess. Yeah, I guess if if we had like a microphone up there instead of a nozzle, it would have made even more sense. <laughs> <laughs> considering what this what this format was set out to be yeah 
Yeah, but yeah, you you got that professionally professionally made on Fiverr. Professionally made on on Fiverr. Yeah, I I think I got yeah two or three logos made for 20 30 bucks or something like that and and one of them didn't look that bad. And so I mean far, they all looked really decent. Um but I guess this is the one that stood out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope Everyone who is listening or, or watching that right now also appreciates the beautiful new logo. <laughs> And if not, please let us know. Yeah. Should we, we change it again for the next 43 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we do like a, a shorts or a, a YouTube story about changing the logo? Yeah. Be my guest. <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, I, I tried that shorts. Have you, have you ever tried shorts on YouTube? I have not tried shorts. I was actually preparing some things um, to put on shorts, but in the end, I wasn't sure how it resonated with my audience. Yeah. And, and also, I realized that even though shorts might gain hundred thousands or millions of views, you don't really make any revenue with it so yeah, i thought it's okay, not it's monetized the i mean the, the thing that the thing how youtube promotes shorts or, or stories and shorts I, I, why do they have both like eh. but the, the way that they promote those non-monetized uh piece of content to creators to, to incentivize them to hey you know maybe you should make a story is you know some channels gained like a thousand subscribers just from the stories that they posted mm. um Or from the shorts, I guess. Mm. And for that, I think it, it would be really nice um, just mm. to... Because shorts and stories are getting promoted the crap out of them uh, mm. by YouTube. Though, honestly, I've not had the shorts bar on my YouTube app recently. It's just shown up yesterday again. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a way to to kind of promote your channel. And we've seen with, mm. with Mars Gizmo, um, like how well that works if you have mm -hmm. content that is short and uh, gets promoted by the platform. Yeah. The thing is, shorts are like, they're like a black hole of information. There is no information from YouTube about shorts. Um, it says, well, I've, I've actually tweeted about that and YouTube got back to me at uh, Team YouTube. And I was like, hey, use the shorts camera in your YouTube app. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I'm not in North America, which is the only place in the world that has the shorts feature enabled in the YouTube app. So I can't use that. They're like, well, just use hashtag shorts in your title or description and it must be under 60 seconds and it must be a vertical video. But I don't think the video that I posted got picked up as a shorts. Because okay. there's no way to, to, to check if YouTube thinks this is a shorts. Uh, and the views are horrible on that, which, I mean, if I would have posted that as a normal video, I would have expected that because like, it's it's a one-minute video about um, mm. what happens when your Autodesk subscription runs out. So, but, like, I was hoping it would be picked up as shorts, but it I, I have no idea if it did. Eh. So, well... I already told you that that I talked to to Mars Gizmo to Adrian um, about all of that shorts thing and um, TikTok and everything that that is yeah, connected with those short videos, um, and he said that it usually takes two, three, five days or even a week to that shorts get picked up by the oh. algorithm. Okay, so you just so, post them into the void and at some exactly. time the void answers to you? Okay. Yeah, it, okay. it was really interesting to see because usually um, 
for everyone who who has never posted a, a YouTube video um, and has a couple of subscribers. So usually, if you post a video, you have the most views over the first, I'd say, three to five hours. Pretty so much. So the yeah. average, yeah. And on shorts, it's it's really different, um, as Adrian said. So it doesn't it doesn't have this this big bump in the beginning it just like gradually um uh, grows and then at some top at some point at least in the past shorts like took off a lot but i think that always depends on how much youtube is promoting them at the moment hmm. okay and i don't know if they are still promoting it as much as a as they did which, like three four five months back which is fantastic because like okay we're promoting it but only for north american uh, creators and now it's available for international creators but like oh we're not really going to do anything for it anymore like you guys mm. i don't have a, a bleep button but yes mm. you guys but, can get uh mm. yeah um yeah. the thing is does um so you posted a shorts video you will get the same analytics for those for this shorts video as for any other video probably or? i suppose yeah yeah because to me it looks I like have... a regular video just one that's like in a weird aspect ratio okay because i have been experimenting with stories last week and i will right. also post i hope a new story like right after the podcast reporting uh recording and the thing that really annoyed me that despite um, viewers and gain subscribers you don't get any analytics from the from a story I, I thought you got at least some basic analytics like number of views and and subscribers gained from that yeah just number okay, of views okay. but, but it's but not just it's just a, a single number not the graph and development no. and and it's not even dedicated for a single shorts video. It just tells you, okay, in the last seven days, you got these many, or I think in the last 28 days, yeah. In the last 28 days, how many have viewed your story and how many uh, subscribers have you gained that way? Okay, I, I guess I guess that kind of does make sense because a, a, a stories, a story, is it a short and shorts or is it stories and... Uh youtube it's weird yeah yeah um but the the stories is supposed to be like one continuous story of what you're doing what you're working on i guess uh -huh. um and it's never like one single video that got the attention because it's it's on autoplay right you, yeah. you upload one 60 second story 15 second 15 is it really limited to 15 wow. it's 15 yeah i think one story is 15 seconds okay I thought it was a bit longer than it, but okay. You, you upload one story and you show one bit and then like 15 minutes or an hour later, you, you post the next bit and that mm -hmm. like seamlessly uh, attaches yeah. to the first one and, and continues that. So I guess stories isn't really like one single piece of content, No, but yeah, YouTube. I mean, I wish they would just do less features and actually do them better, do them to their full extent, to their full potential. Uh, because right now we have stories which is a cheap knockoff of Instagram mm. stories and we have shorts which is a cheap knockoff of TikTok and mm. either one is really all that great for creators it doesn't feel mm. like it's finished but yeah I think that's one of the big Google problems uh, if you just uh, take a look at how many of their products they're discontinuing yeah. every year and how many they just get on the market uh, it 
it often seems that they don't really have a big plan what they're doing they just have a bunch of ideas they put them out into the wild and the ones which stick uh they will also yeah, stay available and the other ones they will be discontinued after yeah. a couple of years or months and on the how many th- um like chats oh, yeah. or chat video me- chats and application are we already i think we started with hang no it was google talk at first then it was hangouts now it's meets uh then, then there for is business there's allo there's what's the other one why What's the, the Allo is the uh, text one, and then there's a, a video one as well. And yeah, those have been discontinued. No, no, mm. one of them is still around, and now Hangouts is being phased out. And mm. yeah, that's a problem. Google Plus, I mean, obviously, is the most obvious one for for me. I was I started my social media adventures on mm. Google Plus. I started my mm. YouTube channel on Google Plus in their community, mm. um, and that just got canceled because like they weren't interested in, in maintaining it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Let's see what what else they come with. Maybe they're gonna bring out something that makes podcasts on YouTube more more watchable. More, well, I guess I guess people are watching them, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> but maybe gonna, they're gonna bring out a feature specifically for that. Yeah, I don't know. How did how do we get here? No, new logo. Okay, new logo. Okay. So yeah, hopefully, I mean, uh, you you guys will have seen it already. Hopefully, I put the, the new logo in the in the intro of this. Uh, of this episode and yeah. it should also show up in all the podcatchers yeah. and on YouTube as the um, the icon channel icon I checked that already I think at least at least Google Podcast shows it already nice. where, where is it getting that from is that through the uh, from metadata? the RSS feed uh, okay. from the metadata of the yeah of the podcast on the uh, WordPress blog podcast man what a, what a weird format yeah uh, speaking of format, let's stick to our format and talk about the new, uh, the next news topic. Uh, a semi-open source electric self-driving vehicle platform concept. Tell me more. Okay, so I mean, th- these are topics that we put in here quite a while ago. I think I put this one in. Um, that got promoted quite a bit as like, oh, look, we now have an, an open source vehicle that we that we can build. Uh, it's called Pix Moving, and they've got like a bunch of different platforms. They've got uh, the Pix Loop, which is a super simple chassis. They've got the, the hook key hook. They've got the bore, which is like a metal 3D printed chassis. They've got plank, <laughs> which is like a, a, a super tall skateboard platform. So this, this obviously, this, this got promoted the crap out of, out of it on Twitter. People were, were reposting or resharing that, um, left and right. And it looked like, wow, this would be a, a big thing. But, you know, you dig into these. Oh, we're doing fully 3D printed cars as we've seen before, and it's like, oh, well, we're not. We're, we're maybe printing the frame, and everything else is still like traditional. Basically, they're just mm-hmm. taking out some steelwork. In this case, they're saying, oh, it's it's open source and it's partially 3D printed as well. <sighs> it's not really open source. So, I mean, what they're posting here with the Pixloop and what they're promoting here with the Pixloop is basically saying, oh, yeah, you can access some of the open source stuff but you're gonna have to order our our kits to actually use it 
<laughs> what's what's weirding me out about this um, this project is um, if you click the the video that I've linked here, um, maybe you can tell me if this looks real to you. I can't click that video right now for whatever reason. Yeah, um, it was weird for me as well. So, uh, audio. Oh. So, what they're showing here looks like a completely fake CGI uh, rendering. Like, the shadow looks way too crisp, the movement looks way too smooth. Like, this looks very fake to me. Um, or at least, I mean, fake in, in the sense of, yes, this might be rendered, but also fake in the sense of, uh, this isn't, like, that they're saying this is autonomous, this is driving itself, but it is mm. actually, it, it, it looks remote control. Okay. Like it looks one hundred percent like you know a, a dude just off camera with a with a remote control just mm. controlling that thing. So yeah, talking about three D printing, it's it it might be an interesting approach to basically uh, what's that um, direct uh, energy deposition D DDM Dead. direct di digital duh. Direct digital manufacture, so ba basically wire arc welding a okay. chassis for the car, and also with all of the customization you you can have that way. <clears throat> Buzzword. Uh, but I'm always asking myself if you already just take a look at the state of autonomous driving at the moment and what kind of amount of work that is involved in the uh, not only the evaluation of the algorithms but also the certification that you can can't only use that in their um on their test closed industrial yeah. park <laughs> is something where i don't know if something like that could really t take off um I mean, look at look at Tesla and how much effort they've put into their autopilot mm. and how janky it still is. I mean, they've got mm. the the new full self driving or city self driving or whatever it's called in uh, in closed beta or open beta. I don't know what the state is right now, and it still makes pretty drastic mistakes. I mean, but, but for all intents and purposes, it is really it is doing really well for the complexity of the task. But mm. it, it's still at a point where. Yeah, at some point it's just going to run into a, uh, another car or run a pedestrian mm -hmm. over. Yeah, it's not, and that is a monstrous effort by mm. by someone like Tesla that, that they put in. Do you know if there are any other commercial cars on the market that have? A, well, in Germany, you 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 you're not allowed to call it autopilot, autopilot. Yeah. Another self-driving solution that is just. I don't know, closely similar to what, what Tesla is offering? Uh, I mean, Tesla is going very, very aggressively forward with what they are actually implementing. Um, a lot of manufacturers have the ability to to do self-driving that is, I guess, not competitive with what Tesla is doing, but at least, you know, highway self-driving, lane changes mm -hmm. and, and taking on and off ramps yeah. and that sort of thing. But um as far as I know, what's what's actually out there, um, Mercedes is doing some pretty high-level stuff as far as I know, and Audi maybe as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, BMW just has simple link keep, uh, as, as far as, as as far as I'm aware. But like they've all shown that they can do more than what's being implemented right now. I still yeah. remember. I think it was it was either Honda or Toyota um, that showed off a very impressive self-driving demo a year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was like, "Wow, this is this is actually really good." Mm-hmm. So everyone's kind of working on it, but mm. like you said, in, 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 especially in Germany, you can't legally put that into a car and put it out on the public road yet. Mm. And yeah, knowing, certification knowing liability. going to be a while. Yeah, I always think about this. I don't know if is this called train track problem, where you have a the trolley problem. The trolley problem. Yeah. So. If you either have the possibility to drive yourself into another car or steer to the right and hit somebody else, yeah. what should the car do? And who's later responsible for that accident if the car decided that? Is it the programmer? Is it the car company? Is it you because you were sitting in there? And yeah. Right if, now, it's still you as the driver. You're still fully yeah. responsible for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, trolley problems are hard. Um it, I, I could go into a huge rant about how the, <laughs> the current German uh, Corona politics are basically trolley problem, where, where you're saying, "Oh, let's let's not do anything," <laughs> which is the worst possible choice. But that that oh that that would be a whole mm. episode about about that. Yeah. But um, people will be tuning off right away. Yep, yep. Okay, so uh-uh. um, self-driving cars, they're cool. That. They, uh, I, I do see an application for that for like those those little delivery vehicles mm-hmm. um, where you have low speeds where you're driving on I don't know bike tracks maybe bike lanes I don't know if that's a good idea sidewalks something where you're not like in open in high speed traffic I think that would be a, a good start to get something out there first oh. um, but is this pix moving platform that I don't think so it, it seems yeah. like one of those things that gets really hyped up mm-hmm. and then it's just it's just a, at, at the concept stage I yeah. don't know are they looking for for VC um, I don't know uh, I don't maybe um, Amazon delivery drones are, are taken over because before self-driving cars become <laughs> a real feasible thing yeah <laughs> we're gonna have the, the Amazon Zeppelins dispatching yeah. a little drone that's on <laughs> Which, yeah, but, I mean, would be pretty efficient and, and cool, actually, but... Yeah. yeah. You, you basically have kind of the same problem if you're talking about, like, uh, air taxis. Um, <laughs> how are air taxis getting regulated? Yeah, around Munich, there's at least one or even two companies that are doing um, air taxis. Um, is it Velo 3? No, it's not, not Velo. Uh, Volocopter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really not sure how, how that's gonna work, at least in like the European airspace for the moment. Um, but they, 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 well, seem to look into like deals with one of the southeast, like one of the Gulf states, um, okay. to, to have it in one of the big like oil cities. Yeah, they, 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 they seem to be pretty keen on, on scooping up innovations and having it in their yeah. city as a, yeah. just basically showing, oh, look at, look at what we can do. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of uh, aerial vehicles, like what you have, you have a drone license. You have a commercial drone license, right? Yes, I do. Do you get, is that still applicable with the new 
EU-wide, I think, uh, drone yeah. regulations. So you can still fly under the same circumstances, I guess. So I am not 100% sure at the moment. I know that something changed. I have an email from the Deutsche Modellflugverband in my in my inbox that I haven't properly right. read so far. I know that I have to register at the Luftfahrtbundesamt. As a pilot uh, or with your aerial vehicle? I think maybe even both. So okay. I think I am already uh, registered at the Luftfahrtbundesamt with my commercial drone license that I did last year. But yeah, this is still one thing I need to I need to take a look at. So there are some newer regulations in in that direction yeah. just to homogenize the, the the field of like rules and regulations for for drone flying, yeah. which is kind of good because also with the EASA you have basically one big agency that yeah. is over the whole like um, domestic. Um, authorities and, and from from I mean from what I've read with the new regulations, it's actually making things easier for the sort of stuff that I'm I would be doing. So, like self-built planes, three mm. D printed yeah. planes. Um, I mean, I have my you've you've flown that. I have my yeah. my wing, um, which is a I mean it's it's a bit heavier than two hundred fifty grams, so it does mm. fall into the it's a model aircraft and not a toy mm. drone uh, class anymore, but. Now, because itself, it's home built and it's a DIY project. It's um, it's actually way less strict way less strict Come on, strictly regulated. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. Mm. Um, then, if you just bought like an Inspire or something, so okay. um, there is also a new type of of license that you can and have to get to fly those um, those airplanes mm-hmm. and it is actually way cheaper it's, I think it's like a, just a multiple choice test that you take it's, mm-hmm. it's like 40 or 50 bucks or something you do yeah. it online and that's it you also have to get that that engraved aluminum um, mm-hmm. plaque with your yeah. name and address on there you have to put that on your aircraft but it actually made stuff easier I think I think so. And I, I, I'm still thinking that it is a good thing that people who fly those drones or even self self built planes they have some kind of a knowledge what they are allowed to do and what they are yeah. not allowed to do because too many things have happened in the past like people flying their drones over uh, well near the airport or even there are lots of. Mm, well, non-commercial small airports around here where you do uh, um, glider flying and, yep. and things like that. And I have seen many people who just flew their drone there 200 meters up and yep. then almost crashing with one of those gliders because, oh yeah, I've, I, I, I took that with me home from work over the weekend. We have one of those cool Inspire drones wow. there. No, you almost crash in one of those those planes it's it's good that there are regulations yeah um and they're necessary nowadays that well this is become well that you can buy your your drone at aldi yeah Um, i mean it it does feel like it's just uh it's holding stuff back and it's kind of painful to actually mm. follow all those but at some point they do make sense i i think right now they're they're like a, a reasonable level like I know I can't fly like next to the uh, nuclear power plant, the, which is, should be is obvious. Is still in operation? I think it's going to shut down by the end of this year. Okay. They've been they've been building back like everything step by step. But okay. yeah, um, 
I can't fly there. Power lines are no go. There are um, uh, reservates, reserve, uh, natural protection areas, mm-hmm. um, which are pretty wide. Um, highways. Yes, highways, of course. All those, and there, there's apps and stuff for that that mm-hmm. just give you a map. Hey, you can fly here. You can't fly here. And yes. yeah. Yeah, so that's that's something that I might do sometime this year. Um, get a proper insurance, get a um, uh, get the license to to fly my drone, even though it just has returned to home and um, mm. like some assist features. It's not it's it's the model airplane with drone features. I guess it mm. qualifies as a drone. Um, just do that, you know. Know you're on the safe side, and yeah, just be mm. just be safe there. Have you been flying your your drone or your um, wing recently? Uh, it's been like half a year. Okay, uh, I'm I'm currently listening to to an audiobook. Um, Kelly this Kelly Clark. This is not sponsored by Audible, but it's if- not sponsored by Audible. Even though I <laughs> might might use that app. Um, uh, from yeah, Kelly Johnson, who was one of well, who was basically the founder of of Skunk Works from from Lockheed right. Martin. And um, he was also one of the the guys behind the Lockheed P-38 Lightning, um, where 3D Lab Print has an amazing 3D printable model of that plane. Oh, and right. The that plane, it, the plane okay. itself is so beautiful. And I haven't been flying for a while, but I, I'm really thinking about printing that out and even though even if i only just put it on the wall but it's such a beautiful a beautiful plane i also i already have the messerschmitt and i printed that out out of um transparent pla and just seeing the internal structure of that plane is so beautiful and the yeah the p38 lightning is even more beautiful it's huge i think you need one and a half kilos of of pla to print that but i'm I currently am really thinking about starting that project, even though I might not have the time for it. Uh, yeah, mm. starting projects is always easy. Finishing them is the hard part. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the, I mean, with the printable models, you have all the the internal ribbing and the wings and stuff mm. that is, especially if you use, excuse me, especially if you use transparent PLA, like that's yeah. all visible. That's mm. that is really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just like going fast. Ah, yeah. Yeah, you, you you didn't get to uh, to, to see uh, my wing in action, but I th- I think even since then I put in the new EUC or something. I think top speed was like two hundred and eight kilometers an hour, <laughs> um, but that is including full dive bomb and, and okay. pulling up. Uh, yeah. Where other? I mean, you, you can literally see the wing flex. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really fun. During during the old days of of RC flying, I. Uh, there, there were a couple of years. I think it was just before the GoPros got really popular. There were the so-called. I think they were called, were called key cams, which was like the size of a car key. Cameras. Oh, those those like yeah. spy cam things. spy cam yeah. things, but they were perfectly suitable to put on airplanes, right. and I enjoyed it so much just putting them at the. Um, at the vertical stabilizer of my airplane and just right. also seeing seeing the wings of my plane deform during dives and uh, yeah yeah quite quite fascinating stuff yeah thankfully the weather's getting better now and it's nice and sunny out so yeah yeah going out there flying some more and maybe doing some some projects around that uh is going to be something that 
may or may not be coming up. Go ahead. Yeah. Maybe talking about 3D printing. Ah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> ah, wasn't the podcast all about 3D printing? No. Uh, um, it's, it's not anymore. 3D printing and affordable 3D printers. Lulzbot um, has, I think they only teased it so far. Yeah. But they teased a new 3D printer starting as low as 750 bucks. So you have a Lulzbot printer, I think. I have a original mini, yes, that I okay. that I've put a mini three Titan on there. So okay, it's lightly modded, but yes. How how is that interesting that Lulzbot is is also well? It's it's even not the cheap price segment, but they are starting to offer well machines at a lower, more affordable price. Yeah, I guess I guess for a bit of context around Lulzbot, I mean Lulzbot was one of the first or very early manufacturer of three D printers. Um, they've always like designed their stuff from the ground up. They've they've never made. Oh no, they have made like an i3 style machine at some point. Though that's not in production anymore. Might be a, a revival of that. But um, Lowspot have their mini and they have the Taz, which are premium priced machines. Let's put it like mm. that. They're they're quite expensive for what they are. Um, but they've always been for the time they've not seen too many updates unfortunately mm. um, or not many modernizations they've seen continuous upgrades but they're still like at their base that original printer from mm. five years ago um, they've always been reliable good printers but they've just been really expensive for what they were mm. um, I, I do like my Lulzbot Mini I've not used it in a while but when I used it I did like it a lot and what makes them unique is they are I mean they're in the US they they do a lot of in you in uh, manufacturing in the US and they're also very much about being open source so mm. actually I mean if they still if they still do that you could actually go into their production uh, server and into their production like file system and stuff and just look through their project and maybe you're going to find it they used to do that where they had all their all their company files except for like I guess legal and tax stuff Um, all their engineering files they just had it on a a publicly accessible server Um, okay that's really interesting you could see both the machines that were already released but you could also see the stuff that is being worked on Mm -hmm. so I don't know maybe that's still a thing maybe somebody wants to check and and see if if there might be something in there about that that upcoming machine Mm -hmm. so yeah they are very much about being open source Um, they're I think the AO one I think that was the i3 style machine that one was like uh, certified by the uh, open source hardware foundation I think mm-hmm. that was like certificate number zero 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 one the very first machine that they certified I believe that was the one um, and yeah very much open source very much hey just we publish everything go with that um so i guess you, you kind of have to put that in in that context that they're now mm-hmm. announcing a, a 750 dollar machine what is a machine going to be i don't know uh it's it's very definitely going to be a a cost down version of of everything they've done so far mm-hmm. because for them 750 dollars is like you know, Creality is saying, I'm going to make something for $120. Mm. I think that is the lowest they can reasonably go. Mm. And also what they're what they're saying is as low as $750. Whew, that is a... Without heated bed. <laughs> that, mm, not, not, even, not even that. Um, 
I, I don't think it, it would be like a, a, a feature down version of, of uh, the actual printer. Mm -hmm. It could be crowdfunding. It could be a, um, a printer yeah. that is like at a promotional early bird price mm -hmm. um, at 750 bucks. But then when it's in full retail, it's 999. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is a more reasonable explanation. And people have been um, guessing what that could mean on Twitter as well, which, you know, crowdfunding was one of the options that they that they brought up. Mm. Yeah, so. that's, that's a really a really good point because I I'm more put it in the connection of um, with the least features you'll get it for seven seven hundred and fifty bucks. But as soon as you want to have a filament runout sensor, I don't know a removable bed, it's, it's gonna cost you more. The but the question is if if something like that is really a feasible option of that customizability because that adds that might add cost in the end it might be cheaper to have a almost fully specced version and just sell that to a bit of a lower price to everyone yeah the thing is you know the the, the exact wording as low as mm. 750 makes me because otherwise you just call it starting at 750 yeah you would say starting at if it's a regular price starting yeah. at 750 if it's as low as it's like you can now get it as low as yeah it's a limited okay. time offer or something yeah. like that. so what what would a seven hundred fifty dollar printer need to be able to do to be competitive? Like it's that's that's as much as a Prusa Mark III kit. Yeah. Right. So what what would a seven hundred fifty dollar printer need to have as far as features and and like reliability to be a worthy option in any circumstance? Mm -hmm. Well, I I think you at least need to have either better availability or at least as as many features as a mark three has because i think that's that will be the direct competitor in the end well what does it need to have of course a 32-bit control board um well, those are just cheaper now so yeah. <laughs> no reason to <laughs> not but, use them yeah uh yeah hopefully it's silent hopefully it's at least a bit smart in a way that you have i don't know filament runout detection or or what? Right, well, you, you, put, it, but you, you're just listing off features of of the hundred fifty dollar printer class right now. So there's there's nothing unique about having those features. Those are just any printer at any price point should have those. I think. Of course, but what I'm expecting from a machine that I will that I'm buying from Lulzbot or a US manufacturer, I want to have something reliable i don't want to buy a project i, I want to buy yeah. a tool i at least in some way would like to have an ecosystem that is working well and only if it's like an ecosystem where they are working together i don't know they have their their parameters implemented in prusha slice or or some other software where you don't have to mess around with uh, who has the best parameters yeah. for the ender 3 yeah, kind of a that's, thing. That, that for sure. Now, I guess I guess one point I want to make is the the one of the reasons why the Prusa machines are like so good and why I keep going back to those, even though it seems to be something that some people just don't understand because they've never used one and they keep calling me a shill. But whatever. Um, the reason why I keep going back to the Prusa machines is because it's 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 the details it's like so mm. polished even though it's super basic hardware mm. um and there's on paper there's there's like nothing in the specs that would make this an outstanding machine but it's yeah. just the you know everything you try to do works as intended 
mm-hmm. and there's no oh I have to like fiddle around with with that to to get into that menu even even at that level um even like the preheat sequences the priming sequences um the filament load unload um the way that they've actually pushed a feature to uh the mark three series of printers where they're using one extra feature of the trinamic drivers that i guess tunes it better to the motors they're using so that that level of attention to detail that is hard to convey in a video that is hard that is impossible to convey in a spec sheet mm. like that is something that that i expect out of a out of a good printer mm. because on paper with you know features like the we've got sound uh, sound steppers we've got a, a flex bed we've got mm. um i don't know even an all metal hot and like yes sure you mm. can you can you can put that on a spec sheet you can yep. put that on a printer but that doesn't make a printer a great mm. machine yeah i always call my prusa a my, my my fire and forget machine yeah i have my sd card put into the machine hit print close the door behind me and i know when i come back three hours later i have a part on the printing platform and this is what makes that printer so useful for me because i use it as a tool and i don't want to fiddle around with it i don't want to watch the first layer all of the time i don't want to fiddle around with print settings and stuff like that everything just works together and as you just said they're not only like throwing together a bunch of really cool features they're doing it in a way that they that it makes the product better in the end as well all of those parts together and this is also what I would expect from a Lulzbot because the Lulzbot, they, they are not the like really hobby starting machine. They are at least in the semi-professional range. And just as with the Prusa Mini, I think they also want to have a machine that is in the more affordable range and in the range where somebody says, okay, instead of buying a $500 Chinese machine, I spent... 800 900 dollars for a u.s manufactured machine because i want to use this thing later as a tool yeah um i guess we, we should also acknowledge the fact that educational uh, use as in schools or universities buying these has a whole different set of requirements and um <laughs> whole whole set of different requirements and just conditions on whether you are allowed by your institution to buy that machine at all mm. Um, so for schools that automatically disqualifies like anything that mm. is most most of the time anything that is not uh, US made uh, in, in the, mm. for US schools um, because you need to have the, the certificates um, you need to have the just the safety uh, the reliability uh, assured by the manufacturer and you can't really do that with an import machine yeah. uh, Prusa printers are struggling with that as well as far as I know so yeah, in in that market, a seven hundred fifty dollar pr- printer from Bullspark could do pretty well. Yeah, well, so we'll see. Did did they announce when we'll get more details? Soon, soon, when it's done. Well, I, I would I would hope that it's you know when it's done. Nobody wants to see an unfinished <laughs> printer or an unfinished product in any uh, uh, any case out of there. Uh, so, cool. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Um. Yeah, maybe let's talk about the next topic, which... Not quite printers for schools, but 
printers for real applications. Yeah. So f I think finally one of the last patterns on heated build chambers for 3D printers uh, that was filed by Stratasys more than 20 years ago um, expired, which is cool, finally. which opens up even more opportunities for, for heated chambers, even though I am not always deeming them totally necessary for the stuff that we print nowadays. But um, I think we we have talked about that a bunch of times already and I think also already when the last ones ran out but um, I'm not 100% sure but I think this one is about like the curtain design they are yeah. using on the upper half of the printer where they isolate more or less the electronics from the building chamber well uh, not 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 quite it's it's how they seal the um, the, the chamber from the outside I guess so. You have you have moving parts, like uh, in, in that case, in the patent, it looks like a coax wire and H bot uh, setup. Mm -hmm. How you you seal off that surface where you have your, your moving parts to to the outside. This is basically what I meant, but I but I okay. think the reason why why they are doing this is because they um, don't want to have, for example, the stepper motors in the hot right. chamber environment or uh, like the cold side of the hot end of the extruder. Uh, that this one also doesn't need to be uh, uh, water-cooled, for example. And yeah. uh, other companies for the last years who have been producing like commercial 3D printers with heated chambers, they have been, well, they, they needed to work around that. And um, with that pattern finally running out, um, also other companies can use that, that really neat approach. Yeah. I have seen concepts by established 3d printer component manufacturers that worked around that exact patent that had a, a good solution that um, made that exact patented bit of the printer that those what, what are those called it's not not bell it's not corrugated with, yeah it like, looks like so see for all of the listeners so what they're basically doing they have um a core xy or hbot like 3D printer top and in between the empty spaces they put a kind of fabric material that can move with the print head and basically like dynamically seals the stuff that is above that surface to the heated chamber that is below that so it's a it's an accordion style accordion style yeah, yeah baffle something like that so that that exact mechanism oh. that you're having that accordion rubber part that that's what's expiring right now the fact that you could build a a fully enclosed and heated chamber i think that's expired a year or two ago mm. so that's been out there you could do that but you still needed to invent your own solution for sealing that and companies have done that um but i don't i don't think i've seen it commercialized yet and yeah like you said this this is that actual part that that last piece of the puzzle basically mm. yeah and it's it's so I have seen that well I have seen workarounds where uh, companies just water cooled the stepper motors for example. Yeah, so you don't need those flexible seals. Exactly, um, but this is a really simple and also neat solution, um, which I'm looking forward to see also on 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 other well machines being implemented because that really opens up the opportunity to have a really easily heated chamber. And all of the other stuff 
can basically s stay the same. So if you have yeah. a, a, a simple, simple and cheap solution to make that accordion fabric thing, which is also you can you can buy system. those. Those yeah. are standard components for like um, CNC um, access covers. Yeah. Um, you can you can buy those ready not ready made. I don't know if they're like temperature if they're up to, to the temperatures mm. that are being used, but it's just one component that is mm. readily available that you put yeah. onto machine. And that's that's what's been yeah. patented. And to be totally honest, in the end, the temperatures you're usually talking about even for peak printing, a hundred, hundred and fifty degrees, maybe yeah. sometimes two hundred degrees is is enough and most materials that are maybe used in in the applications already might be able to to cope with that so, i guess especially when you when you have ambient temperature on the other side of that yeah if you have that accordion style material like one side mm -hmm. is going to be cooled by ambient air so the other side is not going to get as hot mm -hmm. so yeah re really cool stuff i just want to see you know just make 3d printing larger parts just a bit easier because right mm -hmm. now yeah with the printers we have like 200 by 200 300 by 300 you can still manage warp even with with ptg but it's like 300 300 is at the edge of what's reasonable to do uh, like mm -hmm. you really need to make sure that your part geometry is right um that the amber temperature is high enough so this this studio is usually pretty cool so i do get some issues with warping here and there um and that your bed adhesion is like really good and you know, by by eliminating that need for really good bed adhesion, you you allow more geometries to be printed with mm. the higher temperature materials. Yeah. So it just makes three D printing more capable. Yeah. Oh. And maybe also like the not well health and safety aspect. Um, it allows you to easily vent the nasty gases that are yeah. created in the chamber and either vent them outside or just uh put them through a filter if you have an open design it's always getting it's everywhere hard. yeah yeah this uh this cr30 that i've got next to me right here that you can't unfortunately see on maybe maybe you can see it on camera if i switch yeah you can kind of see it um the belt because it's this rubberized material is really smelly and i don't know what it's off gassing so i don't know having an enclosed printer seems really um really enticing right now so yeah. Okay, let's do the next one quickly before we jump into the big topic of the week. Uh, you guys can now print the 90 degree overhangs without support structures with a non-planar slicer. Uh, we've talked about this before, I believe, on the podcast where the University of Zurich, the uh, ZHAW, the University of Applied Sciences Zurich, um, was publishing a paper on non-planar slicing that is doing like conical slicing mm -hmm. um really fascinating concept and there is now a slicer by someone else by someone who was not involved with that paper um there's now a slicer that does that implements that exact approach yeah uh the guy is called rene wait a second rene k muller René K. Müller um, on his website xyzdims.com um, he has been well I think uh, posting about his his progress in implementing that conical or non-planar uh, slicing approach over the last months and there is now finally 
yeah a release script that you can use to basically slice simple overhanging structures in a way that you have this um, not only well well conical printing approach but even like non-planar printing approach which is which is really nice and i'm really hoping that something like that in an even more polished manner where it's applicable for more complex structures uh yeah it is is something that might be the next evolution or revolution in in 3d printing slicers yeah maybe simplify 3d version 5 will implement oh yeah that. and that's oh, the reason sure. why they're taking so long for sure sure um yeah so this this script that he released is uh is called slicer for rtn and it's not a slicer by itself it's a it's a wrapper for other slices so it supports uh slick 3r the original slick 3r it produce uh, it supports a uh, prusa slicer and cura engine uh, he says not yet but i thought i read about how cura mm -hmm. engine is is weird in one way but yeah it's basically for uh classic slick 3r that you wrap slick through in the in his slicer for rtn script what, it, what does wrapper mean does that only mean okay he basically did a, a scripting approach where he at first modifies the geometry and then puts so, that yeah. modified geometry into the slicer and then modifies the g-code in the end again to well get it back to the to the uh, to a standard xyz coordinate system i would believe so yes okay um, so it's similar to the way that um, well, the, the 45 degree belt printing works mm -hmm. where you distort your STL first and then mm -hmm. you un the, the printer in this case in the in the belt case uh, undistorts your G-code but I guess in his case it's um, he's, he's actually doing that as well as a post-processing mm -hmm. script um, and then the printer actually moves in the Z-direction mm -hmm. in real time. And that's really cool because one of the reasons why I never got into non-planar 3D printing and played around with it was because I think the version of Slick3R that was available where this was implemented was Linux only and I think you even had to compile it yourself and I'm just... Right. Which, which I did. Um, okay. I, I went through that process and yeah i have to figure out in the end well it's not that powerful it doesn't it doesn't actually do all of that much so like yeah it worked in a few select cases and it did something mm -hmm. in those few cases but as soon as you had like any sort of real world application it was just not very it it, it didn't make a difference in uh mm. it, it didn't even start applying the non-planar mm. finishing surfaces in, in those cases yeah it was a proof of concept but right it's cool to see that now, well, the even more interesting application being implemented where uh, this allows you to print even steeper overhangs. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I think uh, like two or three months ago, uh, Prusa asked on Twitter, hey, what features would you like to see mm -hmm. in, in Prusa slicing? And I was like, well, maybe maybe we're going to see some basic non-planar slicing. And it was like, ah, we'll, we'll do some other stuff first. Yeah. And here we go again. I would I would like mm -hmm. to see uh, at least a basic implementation of non-planar mm -hmm. slicing implemented in some slicer they can mm -hmm. use. Because I, I I think we are currently basic well more or less at the point or at least from my view where revolutions in in slicing aren't happening that often anymore, and it's hard to to revolutionize 
slicers and uh, most of the features have already been implemented in Prusa Slice, Cura, or Idea Maker. Um, one really cool feature I was really happy to see and I did not have in my head was the implementation of that Idea Maker um, just recently uh, put into uh, the texturing feature. The texturing feature, which is really, really cool. And I definitely need to try that out. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, Cura implemented a new slicing uh, slicing engine for for thin parts. That is really interesting, but that just you know, small tiny bits. It's we, we we're at that level of slicing itself is good enough. It is good so enough. good that it's that it's perfectly usable for ninety nine point five percent of applications. Yeah. Um, what is is happening right now is just more usability and uh, having smarter features in there, like the mm. uh, Prusa Sizer Auto Align tool or or Lay Flat tool. You pick mm-hmm. a side, you click that, it lays it yeah. flat on the. Mm, so good! I I miss that every time I have to use Cura. Um, stuff like that, you know mm-hmm. that that's that's what what still has a lot of potential right now if you're just mm. looking at what could have could a slicer do if it's not revolutionizing mm. uh, the slicing engine itself but of course there's still potential for those uh, concepts that we see so that we saw just now with the known planner stuff for example so yeah yeah so yeah Simplify okay if you're listening non planner no, slicing they're, they're, they're not listening they're, they're blocking people on twitter left <laughs> and right so <laughs> <laughs> no they're, comments allowed. They're, they're not. I mean, you, you're a Simplify user. I'm not. I haven't been using Simplify for, I think, more more than a year. Um, okay. The only reason, but this is also not necessary anymore. I have been using it a lot for for G-code viewing, but the G-code viewing in Prusa Slicer is also really good. Why do we always keep coming back to Prusa, man? It's like it's like Chill. they're making an actual good Chill. product. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. A new car, car downstairs is definitely paid by Prusa. No, I don't have a new car. <laughs> You've not told me about that yet. <laughs> no, no. I was, I was actually looking into, even though I don't need it, because I think I only drove, I don't know, not enough kilometers last year due to the pandemic. Um, like a Tesla Model S would be really nice, but leasing a Tesla Model S... Because it's a nice car, but why? Why? Why the Model S? You crazy? Are you? Are you made of money? That thing costs like a, the, a grand a month. Yeah, exactly. That was my problem, <laughs> and that it costs like a grand a month. They thought, okay, I think that's not worth it. Nope, nope. Even the Model Three is is pretty expensive. Yeah, um, which is I have. Well, you you show. are you are an electric vehicle driver, uh, and I have driven with yours, and I highly appreciate. Uh, that you that you allowed me to do that but i would really just like to know how a nice electric car works like on a day-to-day basis and yeah why why start with an electric smart if you could <laughs> lease a tesla model s i, I mean what, what, what i've thought about is like the Instead of getting something like a, like a stupid plug-in electric, um, mm. do like hey have a have a nice wagon with a with a trailer hitch of I don't know diesel or whatever, just for the the bigger tasks, and then just get a Renault Twizy with that. Like, yeah, you've seen the Twizies, right? Yes, I you'd thought get about murdered in those one. on U.S. roads, but <laughs> in Germany they're they're fine. They're fine, but 
I thought about them, but they're still not re really economical in the end. And yeah. um, I would be scared driving one of those because if somebody crashes in, into that side, I could True. even sit on a motorcycle. And one of the reasons why I don't drive motorcycles is because I like my life. And you so, have a family now. And, and yeah, my family. <laughs> so no twizzy for okay, me. Okay, okay. Oh, I guess that we... I guess it's a bit safer. Yeah, it's a bit safer, but yeah, still not totally safe. But like yeah. just 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 for the, the daily trips, for like going grocery shopping and mm. you know no. going here. Well, but yeah, I mean, if you if you want to borrow the the Peugeot for uh, for two three weeks at some point, be my guest. M maybe it's, maybe I'll I'll rent a Tesla Model S for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, man, we, we we are gonna have that Model yeah. Three um, for uh, Murph last year. Oh yes. Yeah. That, Damn it. I had to cancel that. Uh, oh, maybe maybe before oh. we get to the last topic, um, Murph Murph is still on, but I think it was shifted to June. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, what what they what they're doing, I guess, is like a very limited um, event with not a whole lot of of actual visitors but they have i guess uh, people vlogging live vlogging the the show floor okay um so it's it's gonna be like a semi online event mm. more or less i don't know still weird to have a, a convention in, in times like these even mm. if it is limited online only mm. I understand the like it, it's been brought up that they get like better slots for it next year if they mm. book one this year. Mm. But, eh. Hopefully, times are better next year. I'm, I'm I, I still have like a, a five hundred dollar voucher from from KLA <laughs> from my last Murph flight, but I don't know when that ex expires. Probably ex it expired just like or it will expire in the next bunch of weeks i mean shouldn't it expire if it's a, if it's a refund that they that they they are supposed to pay you out in cash yeah but i think uh, lufthansa has refunded one of my flights and klm i think was the other one they still have not even mm -hmm. though they are legally required to but they're just like ah we will we, we refund you after a year mm. yeah okay yeah that's murph um we'll see how stuff happens i mean i don't know what the situation is going to be like in a year because there's Nobody no there's, there's no guarantee that uh, the vaccine is still going to be effective in a year but that's a again that's a whole different topic like we've talked about the last couple of episodes enough what we can talk about today though is uh you you put that in here as are we geniuses i don't know do, do you mean are we geniuses or are we genies where you get three free wishes <laughs> I guess it's kind of both, right? It's, it's kind of both. So that topic popped up, I think, two weeks ago, Sunday morning on the couch when I was playing with my daughter. And I got an email or a DM or something like that from a guy who said uh, he bought one printer, modded it, improved it all the way and still didn't work in the end, bought a second one also did all of the improvements that people have suggested and it's still not working any and it's still not working can you please take a look at my pictures and ba basically um fix my problems and here again i'm 
even though I I, I sh shouldn't do do that due to to my time, but I if if it's a quick answer, I usually answer say okay, that's fine. But at that point, I was on the sofa Sunday morning with my daughter, and I said, okay, sorry, I don't have time for that. Please ask somebody else. And I really had the feeling that that guy was pissed that I refused to offer advice there. Um, and what I ask myself is why do people think that the last resort when nobody can answer their questions anymore is ask one of these YouTubers, ask one of these influencers. They are probably definitely the ones who know everything the best. Right. Uh, and that's why our routine our routine is, is genius. okay okay let's let's unwrap this bit by bit because there, there are a bunch of things going on at the same time here mm -hmm. so the first one is are we supposed we as in you and me as influencers as much as everyone who hates, hates that word as as people on youtube who make videos about stuff and look smart on youtube um are we supposed to to be the uh the customer support for for people or the uh the helpline um it's it's a struggle i mean it's 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 really a decision you have to make at some point and there is only one reasonable decision the decision to make for someone who has more than a couple thousand people who are watching the videos and following and that is you can't help everyone you can't be the personal support guy um it's fine i mean if you want to spend your time on on that it's it is fine uh as as far as how much effort you put into it uh when you're you know still small or in, you know when, when you're not getting a dozen emails a week or a day or i don't know uh f of people asking you for help you know maybe you can you can say okay i'm gonna help you sure here let me walk you through this i've done that too in the early days of my channel sure i've done that too um but the, the the thing that I've started to realize is when you answer someone in private, be it through a DM or an email or whatever, you're just helping that one person. You're just, you're spending your time, that you're putting your time in to help Uno, one single person once. And that knowledge and that time that you put in is then lost. Like the, the, mm. the next time somebody else has that same problem, they're going to have to ask you again and you're going to have to write out that mm. same answer again. It's 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 a waste of time to be honest if you have the tools to help more people in that time um and the reason i started this youtube channel is mm -hmm. because i saw exactly that i saw it in google plus where the same questions would come up like the how do i calibrate my extruder how do i level my bed all that uh that's what some of my first videos were about um because the idea was okay when somebody asked that hey i've spent the the day or two to produce that video to put it in a nice compact format where all the questions are answered and like i'm going to be able to help way more people that way if i if i do it once and i do it properly and mm. I, I have that public for everyone yeah and yeah at a, at a pretty early stage i for me for my channel i decided okay i i'm not going to be selective about who i don't help i'm just going to make it public hey uh my contact the, the, you know my, my contacts my my dms and my emails they are not for one-on-one -on -one support like yeah. and i don't want to i don't want to make those choices oh i'm going to help you but i'm not going to help you uh the next day because i'm, I'm tired today and i'm no 
if I if I put knowledge knowledge uh, if I put tips out there, um, the knowledge thing is the next part we can talk about. If I put tips out there, I want it accessible mm. for everyone, and yeah. I don't want it to be exclusive for individual people. Mm. Which is also one of the reasons why I don't do uh, like patron exclusive videos. I do do patron exclusive Q and A hangouts, yes, because there's there's like a you know it's it's limited in how many people are mm. uh, pushing those questions on me, but yeah, I. The, the the content that I produce, the regular content that I produce, I want to be out there for free for everyone mm. to help as many people as possible. Yeah. So I guess that's the that's the first part to that, right? Yeah. It, and I don't even want to be rude that way, but it's just that at some point you don't have the time time anymore to do that support. Yeah, of course, um, it's also just helping one person and whatever, but yeah um the 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 thing is also when you usually what what i've what i've seen is when somebody has a question um they ask you something you reply in full detail it doesn't end there like that's not that's not done for you the you know the next question comes in about hey i did this the way you described mm -hmm. it and it didn't work like what's what's this error that i'm seeing mm -hmm. and you you become their personal helpline mm -hmm. you cannot do that for if mm -hmm. you, you you can't treat everyone fairly in that way you mm -hmm. can't answer to everyone because if you do like you'd be spending all your time on uh on, on helping people one-on-one -on -one. so i've i've for me i've put that that note out there on the mm -hmm. on the emails that i that i publish hey this one is if you want to send me products to review this one is if you're interested in having a sponsorship on the channel but neither of these are for one-on-one -on -one support i'm sorry i can do that please use the rep, rep forums yeah this is maybe just before we come to the next point a a an interesting question i'm i'm usually telling them if i don't have enough time or if i can't answer the the question in one or two minutes yeah please check the facebook groups but i kind of have the impression that the the support that they're getting there is getting worse and worse every year because they're getting bigger those groups and even the members that have not really a big clue what they're doing they're still posting oh yes that could be that thing and um so the ones who are looking for support they're getting spammed by by ideas and suggestions right uh where 80 percent are just stupid so have you level your bed yeah well, what's 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 yeah you you just said okay you redirect them to the rep, rep forums so yeah is that a, a source that you would rather suggest if somebody's looking for i don't know help on the problem that they're having yeah i mean that the rep, rep forum is pretty good um in the in the level of expertise that is being shared mm -hmm. there um, uh, we, we talked about this briefly before we started recording here, but I used to have an old, my own forum, um, which I ended up shutting down because it was way too much work for, you know, not enough engagement there. Like I, I didn't see people actually getting that much value out of there. It was mm -hmm. a huge pain for me to run. Um, but yeah, forums, I think are, are, are a good solution. Like you said, Facebook. Yeah. Like everyone is on there. It's kind of a, a an issue with scale, right? The larger a platform mm. gets, the more different approaches and the more uh, Halbwissen gets shared on there. Yeah. Though, to be honest, I mean, that's that's how we started out too, I guess. 
at yeah. some point yeah did we did we as aggressively uh pose as people knowing it all maybe i don't know is that is that how you get youtube cloud don't know mm. um yeah there are more and more discord channels popping up and well i have been hanging out on the on the war on discord right. the last bunch of weeks and months they Though, seem pretty helpful but i think it's also the reason why that resource is still helpful because it, it was still kind of small it was well moderated and um with this diy product you have more people gathering there who i think the the possibility that they know that they know what they're doing is is higher as right. you take a look at the end of three facebook group yeah. the the problem i have with uh, irc channels like that though is that it's nothing is permanent there it's always mm. just like the last couple of hours that he's seeing mm. uh, be it slack or discord or actual irc or whatever else uh, even even facebook groups right it's always scrolling past like you, you answer mm. something and a couple of days later it's like pff, it's all the way at the bottom nobody's going to find yeah. that anymore um that's why I think forums are still valuable because those are searchable. Those are indexed. People are mm. going to point you to topics that have been discussed in the past if you ask mm. something that's that's already been answered. So that's, Google finds it. Google finds it, yeah. I don't think yeah. Google finds stuff on Facebook all that well. No. Um, well, especially because many groups are not, not invitation only, but you, you, have you to need apply, to be a yeah. member. Yeah, yeah and that, that does not help at all. Uh, so I guess that's the that's the how do we present information? How do we how do we share information efficiently? Um, the other part of the question that he asked is why do people think we we know everything? Why do they th think we are not genies? That was the first part. Uh, why are we geniuses? Uh, or, or why do they think we are geniuses? Because honestly, I I don't I don't feel like I'm a, a, a genius in, in this regard. Of course, yeah, imposter syndrome, whatever. But. Um, yeah i well i i think we have a lot of knowledge but i'm a hundred percent sure that there are many people that know way better what they're doing than i am i think it's yeah i think you already said that before it's the way we need to present ourselves on youtube um, if we would present ourselves as I don't really know know what I'm doing, but I tried that out and that out, and at some point it worked. Um, this would be bad for our um, like public persona. Yeah. Um, being this influencer already basically says that you need to present yourself in a way that you are that you know what you're doing. Yeah. It's so that there's there's yeah that there's two bits to that. First of all, the like you mentioned, it's it's not societally acceptable that you are somebody who doesn't know their stuff, right? You have to sharing failure is not something that is it's it's starting to get accepted a bit more, but mm -hmm. sharing failure is not something that that is generally that that people first of all are interested in or something mm -hmm. that is uh, here. My, my numbers are here. here. Um, is not something that is that is respected. Like mm. you're you're showing your failures. Okay, you are a failure. Mm. It's something that um, like scientific papers are also struggling with because you're all, you're only showing successes and stuff mm -hmm. that didn't work doesn't yep. get published or doesn't get the attention. So yep. people are doomed to repeat those mistakes. Yep. Um, 
so that's the that's the first bit the other bit is why yeah the the, the we, we're we're presenting ourselves as people of expertise and yes we probably know some of our stuff but we mm. also have to do the the work we have to do our research mm. and and figure stuff out um but why why do we present ourselves as buddies who you who you can ask and that is something that is just the 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 influencer thing right it's just you, you are encouraged you are kind of required to to survive or to to be successful on those platforms mm. uh to present yourself as a buddy as a friend as somebody who is relatable who is relatable as i you know stumble over my tongue and that makes me even more relatable right um it's it's something that has been cultivated on those platforms so mm. much and it creates that that i mean it, it it's going downhill for a lot of people where you know you, you've got fans showing outside your, your door and just hey can i come in can i have can i talk to you can i have a coffee with you like at that level once you're at that level like oh you've overdone it mm. but you have to to kind of ride that line if you're mm. just a if you're just a news presenter like that's not how how youtube works that's not yeah. how the uh, what 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 is successful on that platform mm. So, I mean, that that's something that we've kind of curated our, ourselves, right? Yeah. And by and the way, yes, viewers, we, we, we love you. We, we do appreciate you. But, yeah, it's, it's a very one-sided relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking into a camera right now. You're look, looking into a face. It's like, you know, I don't know you guys. Sorry. <laughs> I said that before I I don't want to be be rude that way it's it's just it's just not working at at that point anymore if you would do personal support for everyone I wouldn't be able to do YouTube anymore because yeah I would only be doing um uh yeah su- supporting s- strangers on the internet and i appreciate that but too often do i find myself if i get an email if maybe even the problem interests me myself that i do like two minutes of googling and i find an answer or or an idea idea and um yeah i ask myself why do i need need to do that why i I should rather spend my time on on things that yeah help more than just one person Here's a so here's a, a a suggestion for a compromise. Um, I did I don't know was it two live streams three uh, D sent by where yeah. people would send in their um, their failed prints their issues with their prints and I would try to like live diagnose them. Um, I think that was a very successful format. I've not redone it since because imposter syndrome and you know I'm thinking like who am I to to like give people help on their printers that I've never seen, but. It th- that's a format that people seem to like. Viewers mm. seem to like. Um, I mean, putting questions like that 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 you get maybe maybe even have a dedicated email address. Um, mm. Putting questions into that into a publicly available Q and A format would that be mm. something that you that you think is is worth it? I think it would, and it's it, it's. Well, the thing what we are doing right now or what we will be doing in, in a bit when we are ans- answering questions is kind of in a similar way that people 
well, pose questions and we try to answer them and to discuss them and add value in a way right. that this is available for not just that one person and might inspire others to either investigate that even deeper or to just learn from that. Yeah. So, yeah, please redo 3D Senpai. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed those live streams. I even I I remember them happening and I even remember that I well went through them again afterwards just because I was interested. What were the problems? What were your your suggestions because that is for me the process to learn something or to understand a problem better is if somebody else talks about that maybe just adds their personal opinion or their five cents to that i mean what, what i'm always afraid of with those sort of um help streams is i'm gonna give the wrong answer i'm gonna give the wrong suggestion and it's it's not gonna help them they're gonna come back and say well it made it worse or it didn't work like what what kind of crap advice did you give me um and also the it, i feel like it gets repetitive maybe yes but well i think the last stream that you did was more than two years ago so just go ahead right right and i'm i've i think i'm always uh, underestimating how much repetition you can actually do on youtube um how much of <laughs> you know redoing the same content like okay uh octoprint setup that's like the one format i think that i redid that actually mm. well updated but you see you see other channels that are just literally doing the same video with like a slightly different take on it every mm. couple of months and it's like well this 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 works for them yeah so like, I like be we afraid. are doing with the with the podcast it's the same mm. freaking podcast every time that you guys still listen to it yeah <laughs> ah. um the question is just what would be the best way for people to ask questions so you were pretty active on twitter but besides me and my wife i basically don't know anybody else in person that uses twitter so all of my friends are non-twitter persons um email address uh, youtube uh, community posts or something like that oh, is nah, dedicated nah. Th those are a mess okay i guess just email right uh i'm mm. i'm not i'm i never use facebook i i don't even check the comments on my on my video posts i just push it through buffer i don't even log into facebook anymore um how so, dare you what do you mean facebook is crap uh i i do not no i i don't personally use facebook and don't even use facebook that much for for business um so i don't know for for me facebook is not not really an option mm. email email good old email twitter email so well, yeah, Twitter, please what, do it. What worked for, well, what, what worked for uh, 3D Senpai is just hashtag 3D Senpai, um, because that is a that is a unique enough uh, hashtag, though mm. maybe littered with hentai now. But okay, um, demonetized. <sighs> crap. Um, demonetized again. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently it's only the first thirty seconds that he can't swear. In, okay. in YouTube videos. After cool. that, it's fine. Look at um, what CG Matter is doing. Okay. Uh, that that guy swears like a sailor, and it's 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 fine. Uh, yeah, uh, hashtags on Twitter. That, those seem to work, and they force you to keep your questions short. 
Like mm-hmm. that is that is something that is uh, pretty useful because if it's an email, like it's first of all, it's a lot of work to type it out, um, to type all that stuff out. But it's also a lot of work to to read through it. And if you can pres- if you can mm-hmm. present your problem in a in a short segment, yeah, Twitter hashtags. I guess that that could that could be pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, do it again. All right, <sighs> at some point. So all, so are we genius? Genius is. I think we know what we're doing, but. The question is, are we, at, at, at what level are we? Are we really at the level of, yo, if you actually spend time on, 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 on uh, dealing with 3D printers, you are, you know, more than we do? Are we at the level, oh, we actually know a bit more than everyone else? Or are we at the level we know so much that we're already in the imposter syndrome that we think we know nothing? <laughs> at which stage are we? If if you if you take the crowd of three D printing people, in what percentage do you think your what knowledge percentile? level is? What percentile? I would put myself. Oh, that's hard. I w- I would put myself in the, I guess, ninety. Yeah, ninety five. Ninety ninety five. Yeah. The the thing it it depends on how you define that group, right? Is it everyone yeah. who owns a three D printer, everyone who's just mm-hmm. just bought an Ender three or a mm-hmm. Neptune two or something, yeah. uh, or is it people that are really enthusiastic about three D mm-hmm. printing? Yeah. But yeah, I I just by the fact that this is what we do, this is what we spend most of our time on. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that makes us somewhat we, knowledgeable. We better be in that group, yeah. But the other thing is also we spend a lot of time, like you said before we started here, we also spend a lot of time on, on, on scripting, on editing, the on recording. just the, the, the production side of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I sometimes feel like having someone take care of all that, that non-3D printing stuff would make me a much more knowledgeable person. Having someone else deal with the video production side of things um, so, so that I can spend the time on actually digging into 3D printing. Mm stuff uh, maybe at some point once I have like actual dedicated offices yeah mm. all right I, I guess that answers it in the end <laughs> okay yeah uh, lots of tangents but good topic last two questions so manacle wheat was asking uh, so we recently talked about tea bags made from PLA and he is asking does PLA soften in tea water well does, yes yes it does, does. but when it's uh, when it's crystallized it does not yeah so depending on the degree of crystallinity um, PLA can be really heat resistant so if you anneal your PLA in the oven it can withstand temperatures all the way up to 170 degrees Celsius without deforming, uh, without deforming while you heating it up again during the annealing process, it will deform quite yeah. a bit. That's the reason why it's not that much used. Uh, well, hold on, hold on there. Um, it is actually very widely used in like plastic cutlery. Um, that is very often PLA. Just annealed yeah. PLA. Um, also, coffee cups and, and like those those like disposable mm-hmm. coffee cups, right? Those are PLA too in a lot of cases. Some of them, yeah. With the cutlery, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I guess there are several several varieties, but yes. the cutlery I got in the past was mostly transparent. And when you anneal PLA and 
increase the degree of crystallinity it usually gets opaque so, i mean there's, there's the white stuff right there's the white stuff yeah so i mean i'm 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 very certain that um at least a certain percentage of, of that cutlery is actual PLA, that is actual crystallized uh, PLA. So, yeah, so even stuff like the, you know, coffee stir sticks. Um, yeah. PLA, no problem. Okay. Would be interesting to, I need, I need to check Amazon if I can buy some PLA cutlery and uh, see if it's really <laughs> crystallized. I need, I really need to be, build myself a, how's it called, DM where you heat small quantities of material up and uh, like a melt flow no not melt thing? flow you uh check the amount of energy you need to uh increase the right. temperature a certain right. bit where you can check okay where is my tg where is uh, my my Tem- melting point and stuff like D- dc oh, you've you've done that in people. the past with uh, printed samples and just putting a weight on it right yep and um, so there are two things. You have the heat transition temperature, which is the point where like your polymer chains get more like movable. Mm-hmm. And then there is the heat deflection temperature. And there are materials, for example, nylon out there who have a heat transition, uh, sorry. Um, TG. A TG. Glass transition temperature. Glass yeah. transition temperature of like 60 to 80 degrees Celsius. But their heat deflection temperatures. Wicket softening point? Uh, those are two different things. Wicket okay. softening point is when you, you have like um, like a tip that you indent in your material and you measure the temperature at which the indenter got into the material right. a specific depth. So and that, that also depends on the, on the base hardness of the material. So a... Uh, yeah. A flexible material is going to have a, a much lower temperature there, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think how the softness changes with temperatures, but those are okay. um, two different things. Well, anyways, the ah. <laughs> yeah, people will be screaming at me. Right. So TG uh, deflection. Yeah, uh, there's just well, while you looked that up, uh, one more note about TG. Yeah, nylons have a very low TG, but also PEHD. Uh, has a TG, I think, like negative 80 degrees Celsius or something. Because the the way I remember it is it's the point where your material properties change the fastest. Like you you look at the the, the slope of temperature versus hardness or something like that. And the point where that slope is the steepest, um, that's where TG is. Hmm. more or less there's also like some chemical you know something chemically happening at that very or uh, not chemically at the molecular level uh, there's something happening at tg but for practical application tg happens to be like a useful number in some cases but usually it's not it's it's not the most universally applicable uh, temperature figure for hmm. for deciding whether a plastic is usable at that temperature or not yeah did you find what the what that test is called that you're referring to? Polymer DSC. There we go. DSC is differential differential scanning calometry. Calorimetry? Calorimetry. Calorimetry. Okay, so that, calorie, that's yeah, exactly calories, energy. Yeah, yeah, energy thing. 
So, okay, so what what does that do? What What's the differential scanning part of that? I get the calories part, but... Um, I can tell you next time. Basically, okay. you, you, you heat a sample. <laughs> you heat, um, I think, a you heat two samples up or you heat, you heat one polymer sample up and one just like a standard sample, which is a piece of metal and with with the same amount of energy and you monitor i think the temperatures and when the polymer changes its degree of or crystallinity or melts you need melting enthalpy for example so you need more energy to put into right. the system to for, for the um um for the increase in temperature and you can nicely plot that and say okay this is the point where our the glass transition temperature is and where the melting point for example is and way more stuff so you you supply basically a constant amount of power to your melting pot and you look at how quickly the temperature rises i guess in simple terms that's Could and, be it. And, okay. and, and in some <laughs> in some in some uh, temperature regions that that energy absorbed is just larger so your temperature rises less quickly okay i yeah physics I, maybe, maybe phys- we, we're gonna we're just gonna have more details next time yeah. about that um and right. i guess that's that that's i think it for today a bit of a cliffhanger for the next episode <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Thanks for listening. Thanks for, Thanks for watching. watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcatcher. So I, I guess we, we should point out, yeah, this isn't just a YouTube only or podcast only. If you if you prefer, prefer video stuff, you can watch us on YouTube. If you prefer audio only, we are available on all the uh, major podcast platforms. Thanks, Stefan, for taking the time. Uh, thank you. Thank you all for... I mean, I'm, I'm just repeating you. Uh, if you want to support us, Patreon. Links below. You can support Stefan, or you can support me, or both, if you're if you're into that. Uh, we will see you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.